0: this morning, Blessing and Obedience, is often followed by, and then we have a couple of things that we are going to say. <clears throat> we have now come to the last chapter in the Gospel according to John, chapter 21. And it almost seems fitting that it really should have ended at chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, if you've been with us and we studied it together. In fact, there are a number who have questioned especially today, commentators today, question whether John really wrote the 21st chapter of the book. And let me tell you that there is no evidence whatsoever that it was written by someone else or by John at a later date. There is no biblical evidence for that, no archaeological discoveries or anything else. Um, And we also Uh, see that anything that was written and put in print always had the 21 chapters together so as far as that argument is just a theological intellectual argument with no evidence whatsoever several have given reasons several commentaries that I read have also given reasons as to why the 21st chapter might have been written And there are many suggestions, such as to tell us what really happened to John and to give us a little more information about what happened to Peter. Some have said because of its literature nature, that is, there was an introduction before we really get into the body of the letter, and now is just putting together a postscript which makes it balanced and so forth. I'm being honest with you, I don't know about any of that stuff, but I do know why chapter 21 was written. What are you talking about? The bottom line is God had one more chapter for us and he had one more chapter so we would learn something more about who he is and what he expects of us and he clearly says in this chapter that he is manifesting himself to his disciples so it was the sovereignty and of God, bottom line, that he wants us to have the 21st chapter, and it's no great mystery as far as I'm concerned. Having said that, let me give you the essence of the text that is before us, chapter 21 verses 1 to 14, right at the beginning of the message this morning before I deal with the material that I'm going to deal with and the contents of the passage. What's really here in this situation, at a minimum, causes us to walk away and say this. I'll give you five points. One, Jesus Christ is risen. He is not dead. He is alive. Secondly, we learn from the text as he is manifesting himself to his disciples, that's a physical resurrection. There is no question they saw a man. There is no question we have already seen that he ate after he was resurrected there's no question that he's involved in conversation it is a physical resurrection all of that is important to us as we think of the future and the possibility of a resurrection and whether or not the resurrection is physical another thing we can get as a minimum from this text that is helpful to us is not only is there a resurrection it's a physical resurrection it's a resurrection with a body that is different and yet real. What do you mean different and yet real? It's different because we've seen consistently, and we will see again in the context, that they didn't recognize him totally for who he was. There was something different about the body, but it was a real body. That assures us of what we learn in 1 Corinthians 15, that there's a spiritual body there's a physical body and then there is a resurrection and the new resurrected body will be undefiled and equipped for eternity so again this text brings that out to us it also shows us because as we look back in history as pastor chris said jesus christ was born thousands of years ago we haven't seen him and certainly when we talk about a resurrection The best people to talk about as far as seeing someone that was resurrected is someone that saw him, if we didn't see him ourselves, eyewitnesses. And again in the text, we see very clearly that he was not only seen, he was talked to, he was touched, and so it again is real. And another thing that the text provides for us in this chapter is it shows us certainly, as we read this this morning, Of how he is still providing even after his death and his resurrection. He's the one that we need to look to. He's the one that we still are to follow. He is the one that will still provide for every need. And he cares for us long after his resurrection and his crucifixion. And so those are certainly some minimal lessons that are still here in chapter 21. And certainly in the first 14 verses but let's put it in the context and try to go through the passage together with the structure the way I gave it to you in your outline. As far as the disciples remember they've been scattered they were scattered at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and they were frightened let's not forget that chapter 20 verse 19 you can look at it they were frightened the Lord Jesus Christ had been reported as being risen from the dead and Uh, Yet they were assembled together because they feared the Jews. They knew that they were in trouble because they were followers of this one that had been crucified. And the Lord told them that they would suffer as well if he had suffered. And they saw that the Jewish authorities were going after folks and casting them out of temples and so forth. They were scared. We also know that Jesus Christ, in fact, was risen from the dead in chapter 20. We saw that in verses 14 to 16, first of all, where we saw he appeared to Mary, and uh, he, he was real, and she went back. And the result was he later on appeared to the disciples, once with Thomas, once without Thomas. And that resulted in, yes, they had been scattered. Yes, they had been scared. But now there was joy and excitement. And you see that in chapter 20. Look at verse 18 for a second you see that mary was announcing it she was excited i've seen the lord in verse 20 after he comes when they're in the room and he appears to them we see in verse 20 the disciples rejoiced when they saw the lord and then near the end of the chapter in verse 29 jesus said to them because you have seen me and have believed blessed are they who have not seen me and yet believe." There was blessing, there was excitement, there was joy, and so there's their life right now. Their life has been totally changed, they've been scattered, they were discouraged, they were in fear, then they were in excitement, they saw the Lord, and they're energized to live the Christian life, they really are. But now where do they go? Remember, Jesus Christ is gonna leave them, leave them. And uh, to let you see, what I'm dealing with in the passage, I think he, right away I can give you some application. Oftentimes, there's an initial salvation because we hear about it, we get excited, and then you go on, and we get into a routine. And now, what's going to happen? Now, what? Uh, what is what's going to happen to our life? Where do we go? What do we do? And uh, we need renewed excitement. We need renewed blessing. We need encouragement. And so, what happens? Well, I'll come back to that in a second, but you have obedience. I want you to understand that when we come to verse 1, and it says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And I'll address what that is in a second. But I want you to notice that they are in obedience, at least to some extent. Why? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28 and in verse 7, this is after the resurrection is recorded in the gospel according to Matthew, and in verse 7 he says, Go quickly, tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So he, he was going to Galilee. They were to go to Galilee, to see him. And when we come to chapter 21 of John verse 1, they are in obedience at least partially. Why? Because they are up in Galilee where he told them to go. That's what we find. They're up in the area of Galilee and that's what Jesus says he will appear to them and that was a message that was given early on after his resurrection. Now they obviously did not all travel together. How do we know that? That's verses 1 and 2 of our text. We find that there's Simon Peter there. Thomas called Didymus. We addressed those two. There's only seven people, by the way. And then we find there's Nathaniel. We haven't heard too much about him. But he's of the Galilean area. He's from Cana. He's there with them. And then there's the two sons of Zebedee. Who are they? Well, we saw them in your responsive reading. And they're also identified in Matthew. This is James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So there's no guesswork there. We know that Peter's there. We know that Thomas is there. We know Nathaniel's there. We know James and John is there. And then it says that there's two others of the disciples. Do we know who they are? We don't. But I certainly would venture a little bit of a guess because of the way scriptures record it. And I would guess that it might be Andrew and Philip. Now, why would I guess that? Go back with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. But again, hear what I said. We don't know for sure because it doesn't name who they are. In John, the first chapter, and go down to verse 40. And this is in a situation where the Lord, again, is taking his disciples, you come to verse 40, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon. So this was a brother, and he was always closely associated with Peter. And then you jump down to verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And I'm only making it simple for time for you, but if you were also to compare that with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would find that the closest knit group was John, James, Philip, Andrew, and Peter. And then you've got Thomas uh, that's in the situation, and Nathaniel, who's from that area. So we really don't know, but if we wanted to make some type of guess, not that we have to, uh, they may be the other two. Irregardless, there's only seven of them. They're not all there. They are at the Sea of Tiberias, it tells us in verse 1. And that is the same sea as the Sea of Galilee. It is the same sea as the one called Gennesaret that was read in your responsive reading. They use different names for the sea, or they even call it a lake. Why call it the Sea of Tiberias? I've been there. It is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, the city of Tiberias. And that was built by Herod. And when he built it, he named it after Tiberius Caesar. And so often, because it was on that bank, they would call it the Sea of Tiberius because of the city that was there. And it was also called the Sea of Galilee because of the region it was in. So it had various names, but it's the same place is all I'm trying to tell you. Okay, and, and what you see is they have gone there by seven. They are blessed. They have just recently seen the Lord. There's a renewed excitement in their life. And in general, they're where the Lord wants them to be, up at the Sea of Galilee. However, they weren't totally in the place. Why? Because they were told to wait on the mountainside. And on the mountainside is where the Lord had taught them many things. And actually, they're down at the lake. They're down at the lake itself. And what happens? Well, God has been providing for them, the Lord Jesus Christ has been providing for them on a continual basis. They're now in the Sea of Galilee, they're at that area, and the Lord's not there yet as far as they know. Only seven of them are there, they probably traveled in different groups as they went up there, and uh, they've been following Jesus for three and a half years, he's been providing for every one of their needs, uh, and he's not with them every day anymore. He's been resurrected. They've seen him. They're excited. They're at the place that he wants them to be. But Jesus has already told them, I'm leaving and going back to my father. I won't be with you every day, in other words. But he's still going to spend some time with them and is going to teach them. But their lives have changed. He's not there every day. He's not providing for their food as far as he was physically there. And they could see that. They know the authorities are against them. How are they going to carry on? What are they going to do while they're waiting for Jesus? Uh, well, what else should they do? Be patient. But they weren't. Now you say, why? why do you say they weren't patient, Pastor Dan? Because all they were told to do is go up there and wait. So what do they end up doing? Well, while they're there, Simon Peter turns around and says, I'm going to go fishing. He says, I'm going to go fishing. And I really do think it was a little lack of patience here. Why? They didn't have any food. Peter is the leader. Uh, He's also, if you know a little bit about Peter, he is impulsive. You're going to see it in the text again this morning. Remember, when Jesus was walking on water, he was ready to go. When Jesus was going to go die, he was ready to die and said, I'll die with Jesus. And he said that right after he was told, get behind me, Satan. He was the one that in the... Garden of Gethsemane took the sword out and cut Malchus's ear off. He was very impulsive, and usually people like that are not patient. And he's up at the Sea of Galilee, and so now he's waiting. The Lord's not here. There's only seven of them. The others are probably still traveling as far as he's concerned. And what are we going to do? We need food. Well, they still have to support their family. They still have to meet the every needs that they have and Jesus isn't there providing for them and they know fishing. So what do they do? He goes fishing. He did what he knew. He simply went fishing. Now there's a lot of comments that are said about that. Let me just address that for a second. Um, That he didn't have faith in the Lord or whatever, I'm not so sure. And does he do this to go on a permanent basis? from this text I'm not so sure but I think it's going to get answered in the next one Uh, so I'll save that for the next message but it's hard to just simply wait and do what God wants us to do but I'm gonna tell you something that's when we get in trouble and I bring it back to the example about getting newly saved oftentimes we get saved and time goes by, and we're praying for our families, and family members aren't getting saved. And time goes by, and we're, we know we're doing what the Lord wants us to do. We're reading the word. But we get into the routine of things. And all of a sudden, you find yourself the same way, drifting back to things you used to do. And all of a sudden, Christianity, or our life becomes boring, if we're honest. And we're not patient in to do what the Lord wants. And I think Peter finds himself in that situation. Look, I'm where the Lord wants me. He's not here. Everybody else is not here. I guess I'll just go back to fishing and do some fishing. And when we're not patient, we get into trouble. And there's a lot of scriptural examples on that. Again, let me give you a couple of examples right off the top of my head. Abraham. The Lord said, you're going to be blessed. Yes, I believe that. You're going to have a son. Yes, I believe that. And he believed him. But what happened in time? Hagar. What do you mean? His wife came along and said, you know, I'm still getting older, you know, and now I'm really getting old and I haven't had a baby. Maybe the Lord wants it done this way. And so he said, take my handmaid. And by the way, Abraham did and had a child. Was that God's way? No. And trouble resulted because he didn't patiently wait. Lord says, you're not old enough yet. I want to see you guys to be 190 and then we'll have a baby right okay but that was god's way I'll give me another example king saul it happened several times with him he goes in he's told to be patient just wait till i get there and what happens he doesn't wait and he goes in and all of a sudden he goes into the priest's office what the priest would have been been doing and what happens then he comes along because he wasn't patient and he wouldn't wait on what the Lord said and I bring that back because oftentimes even when we're excited and even when there's blessing in our life we lack patience we lack waiting on the Lord in circumstances and I do believe that's part of what happened with Peter here so what happened even in that God is very gracious with him Peter gets in the boat the disciples go with him, and they do what they naturally know to do and that is to go fishing but notice the Lord how gracious he is he doesn't rebuke them nowhere in the text. He doesn't do anything but show kindness to them. Because when we get to verse 4, it says, "But when day was breaking, Jesus is now there. Where is he? standing on the beach. The disciples didn't know it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And it wasn't because he didn't know. He knew everything about them. But he says to them, you don't have any fish? And no, not at all. And you notice what he says? Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. He knew exactly where the fish were. He didn't rebuke them for going fishing at all. He simply provided for them. They did obey again. And when they did, they cast it on the side. And what happened? It was so great a number that they, were haul- they couldn't even haul it in because of the number of fish. They had spent the whole nights and caught nothing. They knew when to fish. They were experienced fishermen. They had done all that they could with their own efforts. They were skilled fishermen. And they failed even at fishing. Isn't that interesting? That's the second time you read it, by the way. By God's grace, what did he do? He didn't rebuke them. He provided for them. And I, I just want to pause for a second on that. I am so encouraged, personally, that when I fail the Lord, or I am lacking patience, that God is still patient with me and still provides and still is gracious. And you know he is for you, too. We have a God that is so compassionate. It's wonderful. Not only provides salvation, but even when we are not patient with him. Even when we do, as I have in your notes, use all of our efforts to do something, we still have to depend upon him. These people were skilled, and all night they spent verse 3, and they couldn't catch a thing. Was it because they didn't know how to do it? No. Was it because it was the wrong time of day? In fact, just the opposite. That's when it was best, and they were out of the heat of the day. But they had not been depending upon God right there until the Lord Jesus Christ spoke up, And I have no doubt, I had you read the responsive reading, because it is not the same instance as this. Your responsive reading that we looked at had to do with the beginning of the ministry. And when the Lord called the, the fishermen, and he called Peter and them, they were fishing again all night and had nothing. And early on in the ministry, the Lord provided so much, in that case, it filled two boats. And the fish were so heavy, the boat began to go down by the weight of the fish. And the Lord told them to come and follow him. And the famous passage that we often quote, I will make you fishes of men. And the Lord reminded them that he was calling them away from something and calling them to a life to follow and do what I want you to do, and you will be very fruitful. And there's no doubt in my mind, as we look at this text, knowing the background, that they've gone to where the Lord wanted them to go. They're in that area, and now they're also in an area where they first were called from a particular area, and that is fishing. They were called from a particular life, and they were called to the ministry of Christ. It was in that area where Christ had taught them and instructed them, and you even have some sermons that are well-documented in Scripture about what a blessed life is like. It was there that he performed a miracle that they had to in their mind, and I believe that's why they said, it's the Lord. Because their minds went back to, wait a minute, this is a tape being played again. The Lord already did this for us. We fished all night before and got nothing, and he provided, and now for three and a half years, he's been with us in providing, and here he is providing again even when we're not patient. That's what's really going on. He's providing for them again. They did not recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at the text as we go on. But when they cast the net on the other side, it says, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, we've said that, said to Peter, it's the Lord, he recognized. The others did not. Now why? So when Simon Peter heard that, let me just address this, when Simon Peter heard that, It was the Lord. He put on his outer garment uh, for he was stripped for work. And that is not uncommon, although it's absolutely absolutely the reverse of what we might do today. When it says he was stripped for work, that's right. He probably only had his loincloth on and, and basically had taken all the other off, maybe because of the heat, maybe because it was easy to fish that way and it wouldn't get in the way. We can come up with all kinds of reasoning, but that was not uncommon. But it's interesting. When I jump into the water... We get down to a bathing suit, right? He's the opposite. He puts the clothes on and he jumps in. Okay? And why? He couldn't wait. There's the impulsiveness again. He can't wait to get to the Lord when he hears it's the Lord. He's the one that he's supposed to be following. And he jumps into the water. He doesn't wait for the boat to come. He actually goes back in. It's about 100 yards off. It says, so it wasn't too far. But the others could not recognize him. Peter couldn't recognize him. Was it because it was too dark, as some suggest? Was it because it was just dawn breaking? Was it because they were too far away? 100 yards? I don't think so. We don't know. I think it's again because just when they saw him in the midst, they didn't even recognize it was a changed body again. What was it that identified the Lord Jesus Christ to to John? It was what he did. Let me stop at that. We should know our Savior so well I believe that if we know the Word of God we know when he's working we see the hand of God we can see what he's doing and John knew right away wait a minute the only one that could know where that fish were the only one who could provide for us that way is the Lord he's the one who's done this before he's the one that and he recognized the quality of the work, the care of the Lord Jesus Christ, and remembered what he had done before. Often we, we don't do that. We forget. We see how God's blessed and we see what God's doing, and then we come to a difficult area of our life. Now, what was so difficult about this? They were where the Lord wanted them to be. Yes, but the Lord wasn't there yet. Well, maybe I've got to take things into my own hands and provide. Why? Nothing wrong with the fishing at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with them in the sense of fishing because they knew it and they wanted to provide. But they weren't thinking about God's provision. They weren't thinking about what God wanted them to do. And isn't it amazing? As he provides for them in this situation, we see that it's an abundance that he provides for them. And there were so many of them. There's 153 of them. Now, I tell you, I get, I'm just sharing from my heart, I get amazed at some of the stuff I read. There are so many people that are trying to figure out why the number 153. Honestly, do you know that Jerome wrote about that? Augustine, Augustine, spent a whole chapter on what this number means. That's foolish. What does the number mean? A lot. I'm serious. I get into, I, I, I was going to read it to you, and I said, I'm not going to read this to the congregation, because it would have taken 10 minutes. I seriously read stuff that said, it's because of the triangular number 17. So if you take one, and you add two, and then you add three, and you add four, all the way up to 17, it adds up to one to 53. And if you take the number seven, and you take it and you divide it, the seven is the perfect number. And if you take four and divide that, and then you take the four and the three, that adds up to seven. I was confused. <laughs> Folks, just look at the text. Forget that foolishness. The bottom line is the Lord Jesus Christ knew where the fish were. He provided for them, and he generously provided large fish, it says, and 153. Now, why would they count the number? Because they were fishermen. What are you talking about? What are they going to do with them? Sell them. And they need to know the weight, or in this particular case, the number, so when they sell them, they could get a price. There's nothing tricky about this. It's simply there. And the real thing is, the Lord Jesus Christ in his graciousness wants them to recognize how he faithfully provides. And he not only invites them to catch the fish, he invites them to breakfast. And did you notice the miracle again? A lot of times they don't even talk about the miracle, they're talking about the 153 fish. He's on the shore, he didn't go fishing, and he's cooking the fish before they come in. What are you talking about? Verse 9, they saw the charcoal in the fire. What did he have? A little bic lighter? I don't think so. What do you mean the charcoal? And, and fish placed on it? Where did he get them? Oh, wait a minute. He's the same God that provided for the loaves and the fishes. You see, look deeper. The Lord Jesus Christ just wants them to see, you know, you've been there, you've been fishing all night, nothing. Look, I provided more than you can handle. And he gets into the uh, waters, and then he's helping them to pull the fish aboard. They count it. By the way, let me prepare you for next week's message. I also believe that this is going to be a test in their life. Because I do think we're going to see that after the Lord provided so graciously and abundantly for them, he's going to challenge Peter more than just whether he loves him. He's going to challenge him as far as when I leave, what are you going to do now? But I'll leave that for next week. And it's because of this number of fish. But he invites them on a breakfast, provides for them, and graciously, graciously meets their every need. And by the way, when it says in verse, I probably should, time's going by, mention this. When it says in verse 12, none of the disciples ventured to question him. Literally, that means they didn't dare ask him. They knew who it was. Why? It says it. They knew. They knew it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, even now that they're sitting down at a breakfast table, there's still something different. Why? It's what I started the message with. A resurrected body. Different, yes. Real, yes. Physical, yes. But different. And that's how you and I will be with a resurrected body. Different. And notice again, he says, Come. He took bread. He invites them to participate by taking some of what they've caught and adding it to even the meal to provide. He didn't have to do that. But graciously, again, provides for their hand. And he gives it to them and the fish likewise. And he says, now this is the third time that the Lord Jesus manifested. And that's how the chapter started in verse 21. He was revealing himself. The the word manifest means to reveal, to show. He's showing himself to them now. What do you mean the third time? Well, you say there's many instances. Well, if you look back in our text, there were two with the disciples, one without uh, Thomas and another one with Thomas. And he was with them. And now the third time he's revealing himself physically alive, and above all of that, it's not just the manifestation of them seeing him, it's I am still with you. I am still providing. I am still the one that you are to look to. The Lord expects us to be obedient, but fully obedient. They were simply to go there and wait. They were simply to depend upon God, and God will take care of us. What about you? What about me? What if we lose our job? Should we then not go and look for a job? No, of course we should. But will God provide for you when you're out of work? Yes, he will. But what about when you do have work? Are you going to just depend upon yourself? Are you going to look to God? They had an occupation. But you know what, isn't it interesting? They couldn't even catch a fish if God didn't allow it. You say, well, that's not like me. You know, I'm I'm one of those intelligent people that all I need is a computer and I'm all set. Really? Do you think God can't change your life in a matter of moments? But we have a God that's compassionate that not only as we just celebrated, provided salvation, but he is interested in our every need And that is why he says in Matthew chapter 6, not to be anxious about what we put on and what we're going to eat and what we're going to do, but to focus in on the kingdom of God. Why? Our heavenly Father knows our needs. Don't you know that the Lord Jesus Christ knew the needs of the disciples? And he not only provided for them, he provided more than they could have and enough so that they could go and sell it and have further provision. But only he could do that. Only he can do that. He is truly risen. And he, was, and he does want us, excuse me, even us, to depend upon him. And even though we might get involved in the things of this life, to still follow what the Lord Jesus Christ is leading us in and to depend upon him for everything to be provided. And he will. And he will. And our God is a compassionate God. He's not like the world thinks. He's not like sometimes we think, always coming down. He didn't even rebuke the disciples in this situation. In fact, he's going to be very compassionate with Peter, as you well know the text, even in the midst of this situation. So what are we to do? How are we to walk away today? Be encouraged that we serve a risen Savior. Be encouraged that he really was seen, touched, talked with, alive, and because he lives, we too shall live. Because he's the first fruits of the resurrection, we too will be resurrected. But also, learn the lesson these men loved the Lord. They did. They wanted to follow the Lord. But when he wasn't around, that is, like he had been, when they had even gone in a direction that he wanted him to, them to go, uh, they grew a little impatient. They started to rely on themselves, and they had to be brought back to reality. And the Lord was the one that provided, and the Lord was the one that had compassion, and the Lord's the one that's going to lead him so that by the time we're done with the book, it's going to be the idea of follow me. In every area, in every way, you do that, and I will bless. And that's so true in our own lives. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to see beyond just the physical means of eating fish and having breakfast. Lord, it is true that in this life you provide for us. You've given us intelligence. You've given us the ability even to earn wages, the scriptures tell us, and to have wealth, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Father, so often we can go our way and not depend upon you We can obey you halfway and then get caught up in other things and forget. I thank you for the reminder of communion and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We thank you that you will never forsake us and never leave us. We thank you, Father, that you know all of our needs, and we don't have to be anxious about what we will eat, what we will put on, or where we will go. Father, while we may be physically fit, while we may be alert and healthy and able to even have a job and and move around, it's still all dependent upon your grace. Help us not to rely on those things, but to rely on the grace of God. To look to you, to be ready to follow, and to be ready as Thomas was, to recognize you as Lord and God. To be alert as John was, so that even in a boat, when he saw what was going on, recognized it was your hand. It had to be you. And I pray, Father, sometimes we go along in our life and we don't recognize your hand because we're not looking closely. We, f- we don't see, Father, the way you're blessing, the way you're providing. Help us to see that every day. And I pray that you'd help us to live in a way that'll be pleasing in your sight and will bring honor and glory to your name and also that will thrill our hearts so that we can praise your name to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.